Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for a bit of listening or viewing pleasure, depending on what platform you choose to follow us on. And of course, guys, as the title suggests, this is the preview for the Spanish Grand Prix and of course, joining me as always, the ever loving and ever present Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, first of all, how are you doing this evening? You're okay? Yeah doing good uh we're a bit spoiled at the moment with the amount of races that we've got so another one's just around the corner so perfect time to do another preview absolutely i do love a double header as much as the next person and of course we are reaching now the second half of that the spanish grand prix and you would have also noticed viewers of the dnf1 podcast that we have a special guest with us this evening we have george from f1 chronicle who also does his own podcast the grid talk podcast i definitely recommend that you check that out really great show with george in particular and of course i'll leave the description below george first of all how are you doing this evening Doing just fine. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for that very nice intro you've given me there as well. I really do appreciate it. I've listened to a few of your guys' podcasts and, and they're good. They're good. You're doing really well. So can't wait to see where you take the show from here. Thank you. Well, we've got big plans. And of course, I'm sure Grid Talk and everyone at F1 Chronicle, of course, uh, all have big plans yourself. So it's always about the smaller channels, always building each other up and networking and building a bit of an F1 community, I suppose, that necessarily isn't mainstream, but hopefully one day it may become a part of that. But of course, it'll be a fun journey nonetheless. But of course, enough of the pleasantries, guys. You guys don't want to hear us talk about ourselves. We want to talk about the Spanish Grand Prix. And given what we saw in Portimao, so many talking points, albeit probably wasn't the most exciting race that we've seen this season, uh, given that we were so spoiled with what happened at Imola and Bahrain, but nonetheless, plenty to talk about still. First of which, the battle raging on between Lewis Hamilton, the defending world champion, and the up-and-coming challenger, Max Verstappen. It looked like for the first time this season, we saw the first proper blow laid by Lewis Hamilton on Max Verstappen with a dominant performance in Portimao. Now he leads the championship by eight points. Of course, that fastest lap taken away from Max Verstappen. George, I'm going to come to you first on this one. How do you see this battle going in Spain between Lewis and Max? Do you feel that, first of all, does, is Max able to fight back immediately? And secondly, does he have to fight back immediately in Spain? Or do you feel he will have more time as this season goes to lay his blows, if you like, to the champ? There's a, there's a long way still to go. Obviously, there's 20 more rounds still to go. So there's plenty of time for him, no matter what. But if he doesn't win this race and Hamilton does, and it's, you know, it's more of a gap, you know, you've almost got two races, then he needs to, to kind of come back, you know, has to hope for a retirement. And as we've seen from Mercedes, it's very, very rare. They have a mechanical failure. I don't, I don't think Hamilton's retired from a race since 2018, Austria, something like that, over 50 Grand Prix, which is more than a lot of races have in their careers. So, 
Yeah, I I I see it, I see it going. I honestly think that Hamilton will probably win the title, but I'm just looking forward to the ride. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing who's gonna who's gonna come out on top out of those two. I think probably if I had to put money on it, I'd say Verstappen will win this race in Spain. I think the Red Bull will suit Circuit de Catalunya. I think the conditions will be a bit more normal too. I think I think Red Bull struggled in the colder temperatures and the wind more than what Mercedes did. Um, I think rain was forecast for Spain before, but I think they've got rid of it now. I don't think it's meant to rain, but I'm just looking forward to it. And, it, and we've got a proper fight between two different constructors, uh, two different drivers from two different constructors for the first time since 2018. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to see how this goes. Yeah, I mean, that was going to lead me nicely into my next part, asking, should Red Bull feel confident that they are the favourites going into this weekend? I mean, a lot of people felt that Portimao may have suited Red Bull. I personally wasn't so sure. I felt it would be more power sensitive, and I think we've got a good indication of that. But Barcelona, traditionally the testing circuit, tends to bring out uh, what the actual performance is, or the pecking order, if you like, of these cars. So, yeah, as you said, George, it does make sense for Red Bull perhaps to feel a bit confident. Um, do you feel they were f- that they will have an advantage going into this race, uh, enough perhaps to lock out the front row maybe, or do you feel that Mercedes are still going to be there uh, for the corner for corner through this Spanish Grand Prix? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, the circuit is ever so slightly faster this year because the changes they've made to Turn 10, and I think that'll suit the Red Bull more. Um, I think the Red Bull's a better car out of the two. I think the Red Bull's a better car in normal conditions. So I think they'll probably lock out the front row. I can see Verstappen leading Perez, but it's the race and Hamilton has dragged that. Everybody says, oh, Hamilton only wins because he's got the best car. No, I don't think he has the best car anymore. I think Red Bull is the better car. And I think he'll do very well to, to win this race, um, especially if they lock out the front row, obviously, because it's so hard to pass too. But it comes down to strategy as well. It comes down to safety cars. You can't call it. You know, I think Verstappen was faster in Bahrain and he didn't win. I think Hamilton was almost as fast as uh, Verstappen at Imola as well. Uh, Verstappen came out on top. So we'll see what happens. But I'd say that Red Bull are probably the favourites for this one. But you can't tell until qualifying. Mm, Absolutely. And qualifying is very important in this modern era, especially at a circuit like Spain in particular, where it could be the difference between winning and not winning in this case between Max and Lewis. Courtney, I'm going to bring you into this discussion as well. Obviously, very much the appraiser of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, and rightly so this season in particular. How do you see this battle going between Lewis and Max? Do you agree with George on this one, that Red Bull should be confident? Or do you feel that Lewis will once again pull out the spectacular, but perhaps in his case, normal circumstances? Well, given how close it is, this championship, I think it depends on which upgrades which teams are going to be bringing. Because traditionally, some teams bring big upgrades to Barcelona. Not sure if that's the case with Mercedes. But if we go into this race where there are no uh, big upgrades coming for either of the teams, I would expect Red Bull to be on pole. I reckon Lewis will slot in his second. Because I think Perez is still getting to, to grips with that Red Bull. There are improvements from him. But I still think that Lewis will edge Perez, if, even if Red Bull are better. Um, and yeah, given the characteristics of Barcelona, it's going to be difficult to overtake on track. So Max will have the advantage there. But the only way that if Lewis was to win, the only way he could win is on strategy. And we did see in Bahrain that Mercedes still have it. They still have the advantage when it comes to strategy. The only thing I will say about Mercedes is that if this championship continues to be as close as it is, 
easier said than done, but they're going to have to make their pit stops faster because Red Bull electric. So that's something Mercedes is going to have to look at with fine-tuning their pit stops. Mm. And that's a really good point you made, Courtney, because I think we could all agree at Portimao that one of the key moments in that race when Max Verstappen overtook Bottas whilst he was on colder, hard tyres was there was a one-second difference between the two teams in their pit stop. And ultimately, that could have been a buffer that Valtteri would have needed to keep Max behind him and perhaps would have been enough to keep him behind for the rest of the race. So you're absolutely right to point that out. Um, should we feel... Uh, more confident perhaps or, or expect the number two drivers to really lay their marker down at this race because Bottas, despite coming up short against Lewis once again, as probably we expected to a degree, despite an impressive qualifying, he had looked a lot better in Portimao. He looked more like the Bottas that we'd expected. And Sergio Perez, despite a disappointing qualifying, did recover his race with an excellent tyre run, which I think lasted 53 laps on that stint on those medium tyres. Incredible stuff from Perez. So do we feel that these two will have more of a factor to play in this race, perhaps for the first time this season, in terms of affecting what their teammates could do up front? Um, George, I'll ask you first on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when they've got the rear gunners in play, it's, it's another element to the strategy. I think that's what costs Red Bull big in, in Bahrain, not having Perez up there. I think that's how Mercedes out-strategized them. Um and I think the same again happened in Portimao, you could even argue, because both Mercedes were up there, but Perez was stuck behind Sainz and Norris in the early stages, and that cost him like 30 seconds or something like that in the end. So I think the, the rear gunners, the second drivers, are really going to play a key role. And I think those two drivers, Bottas and Perez, will decide the Constructors' Championship. I don't think Hamil Hamilton and Verstappen will be around the same when the season ends, I believe. But uh, Perez and Bottas, I think they're, they're key that and that's why before this before Portimao I thought the Red Bulls were shoo-ins to win the Constructors Championship but now I'm not so sure Bottas did really well I think in Portimao he didn't win he got third place but he got the fastest lap as well and that's key that'll be key and, that, and that's what it could come down to it could come down to the fastest lap points it could come back to the sprint race points when we get them later mm. in the season too that's how tight it is so anything that these second drivers can do is going to be very very important for the teams yeah, no, absolutely agree. And it's it's well worth pointing out that fastest lap or the sprint races points, not that there are many on offer, but we imagine those are going to be secured by those two teams in particular. They could prove to be the difference depending on which way they go. Um, Courtney, I'm going to bring this question to you as well. Um, now that we've seen Bottas and Perez make um, arguably to a degree some of their better performances um, over the course of last weekend for different reasons, do you feel that these two finally will be able to lay down a proper marker um, in this championship and if not perhaps as a rear gunner as George already mentioned well they're going to need to um, I feel that out of the two I think Bottas is under the most pressure given the the George Russell rumours are continually gathering momentum um, he's fighting for his he's fighting for his seat at Mercedes um, so Bottas is going to be under pressure and it's going to be really interesting to see how he reacts he made a good start last weekend by putting the car on pole. We know he's capable of doing it. Not consistently, but he's capable of doing it every now and again. But he's going to have to be more consistent. So not only is he going to be important for him to help Mercedes win this championship, he's going to have to up his level. But it'll be interesting to see whether he cracks or he takes that next step forward in terms of performance. But in all honesty, mate, I don't know which way it's going to go with Bottas. And let's hope so. I mean, it's such a volatile situation with Valtteri Bottas. And you have to admire 
the mental strength that Valtteri has to keep taking these uh, knocks and punches, not necessarily from his own team, but from the media and pundits and even people like us comment, commenting on podcasts and talking about this. He really does take a lot of perhaps unnecessary criticism for a driver that is of a very high caliber. And I feel like people don't appreciate that because he's racing against Lewis week in, week out. It's such a high bar that perhaps not many drivers could do a better job than what Bottas is doing. But I'm going to bring up a source. Then Courtney, you sort of alluded to this as well. Um, the Daily Mail, not that I'm an avid reader of the Daily Mail, but I did notice a headline from them where they claim that Mercedes are already looking at potentially swapping Bottas and George Russell before 2022, i.e. in the middle of the season. Now, this was put to Valtteri Bottas in the press conference earlier today, and he had the following quote, which I'm going to read here from, um, from Sky F1. And Valtteri said, I know that I'm not going to be replaced in the middle of the season. I have a contract for this year, and I think there's only one team that does that kind of thing in F1, and we are not them. So no pressure from my side. I know how things are. There's always bullshit around. That's part of the sport. Now, you Sorry, have- finish, uh, finish talk there. Pretty much. I mean, Valtteri is probably the most outspoken Finnish driver I think we've ever seen in the sport. You know, it's almost as if, like, <laughs> are you actually Finnish? And it's true, though, if you think about it. Like, yeah, yeah. The fact that he actually speaks a few sentences is enough, other than you had Mika Salu who hardly said anything. Kimi Raikkonen just goes, boah, and then says gold, whatever comes out afterwards. Mika Hakkinen just used to look <laughs> at someone dead in the eye and go, yes. Um, so Bottas, by comparison, is a breath of fresh air. But you both picked up on the key quote that Bottas said there and that was um there's only one team that does that kind of thing and that's not us probably no prizes for guessing who he was talking about George yeah I think it might well be Red Bull that he's talking about there Mm. um and for what it's worth I'm also not an avid reader of Daily Mail I can't stand that paper but there we go Um, and I think it is a lot of rubbish I think he's right on that one I, I mean we talked about it on my show actually um the preview for Spain but we some of us think that the deal might already be done that George Russell might already be signed for 2022 for Mercedes and I can believe that that might partly explain why Toto was so angry with him after after Imola because he's like George I've given you the seat the seat is yours next year don't make us look bad don't cost us the constructors championship this year I think that's why he was more mad than than what he normally would be at that and I also think that's why, because I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but obviously uh, Toto's been coming on the radio to Bottas sometimes. He did it in Imola and he did it in Portimao as well. And I think he's really trying to get the most out of Bottas because he's like, Valtteri, you're not driving for us next year, but I need to get the most out of you now. This is key for next year. This is key for our prize money, our prestige, everything to retain our titles. So I think it is rubbish. I can't see them doing that. It's just on. Mercedes are a team that knows how to win. They've done it for the last seven years in a row. And they know that part of that is consistency and sticking by people and being loyal to them. They're not going to kick Bottas halfway through the year, especially as well because Mr. Wolf is his manager too. He's not going to get rid of his own driver halfway through the season. No, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned that you think George Russell knows, and I can understand that. I could probably agree to that to some uh, some level, given how not only George went for that move against Bottas in Imola, when he probably could have done it somewhere else or a better time, knowing perhaps he had the seat safe, but obviously the reaction afterwards. Um, Do you think that Valtteri Bottas might know that he's not going to be in the Mercedes next season? Or do you feel that perhaps they decided they don't want to tell him yet out of fear that his performance may drop to such a degree, which may compromise Mercedes Constructors' Championship and perhaps the Drivers' Championship as well? That is a very tough one. 
Bottas isn't stupid. I think I don't think they'd be able to keep that sort of thing from him if they tried. And I don't I don't think Toto would do that. I think he'd be honest with him, to be honest. But who knows? They could be keeping it from him. It it would make sense in a pure performance kind of terms because it's like, oh, Valtteri, you're still racing for your seat, not Valtteri, it's over. Like Vettel last year at Ferrari, like he knew he was going, he knew he was getting the boot at the end of the season before the season started. So mm, it's it's a tough one. I think deep down, Valtteri will know. If it's not been said, you'll have more than an inkling about it. Mm. And Courtney, before we obviously move on to another team, I'll bring you into this part as well. Um, how would you handle this if you were Toto Wolf? Assuming that you haven't told either George Russell or Valtteri Bottas yet, if you were able to, would you tell Valtteri Bottas that he's not going to be at Mercedes now? Or would you wait until you've near enough got the constructors wrapped up to let him know what's going on? Yeah, ideally, you'd give him a chance because that would be a form of motivation. You know, if you're in a tight championship like this and you've let one of your drivers know that, well, you're leaving at the end of the season, let's be honest, if at any workplace, if you're told you're going to be basically given the sack or being left redundant at the end of the month, you're just going to come in half ass, aren't you? Mm. And he'd probably do the same thing. So it would make sense for Toto to maybe say, look, we're going to talk about this later on in the season, kind of keep the topic open as a form of motivation. And maybe that is the case, you know, and as George has already touched on, he has been trying to motivate him. So yeah, he's right. Maybe he's just trying to say, look, Valtteri, this is your last chance. You really need to be giving your all for the team now in order to keep your seat. Hmm. No, absolutely. And of course, we shouldn't forget that, you know, even if Valtteri does know that he's not going to be in that Mercedes next year, and, and we're assuming that, you know, in this scenario that George Russell gets that seat, Valtteri doesn't have many options for 2022 as it is, you know, there could be a potential return to Williams, which may or may not appeal to him, even though that seems the only seat available. Aston Mm. Martin, you know, they may decide to buy Vettel out of his contract a couple of years early and put Valtteri in there. There's so many factors that we can consider in this. One thing we do know is that Mercedes 2022 partnership, if Valtteri is going to go, it's going to be for George Russell, um, not for Lewis, because we probably feel confident that Lewis is going to stay on next season. But of course, so much can change in Formula One. And that's why we love it so much. Um, let's move on to the next battle, of course. Um, I will push you both for a prediction on the race, but they probably will feature it. Actually, no, let's do that now, actually, while we're here. Um, we're assuming right. that the top three <laughs> is going to consist of those two teams. So, um, George, I'm going to let you go first. Who's going to be your top three in the race on Sunday? I'll stick with the ones I said for my show uh, earlier on in the week. Uh, I'm going to go for Max Verstappen to win, Hamilton for second, and third, Sergio Perez. And uh, Courtney, how about you? Well, two out of three, mate, George. So, oh, yeah. So, (laughs) Verstappen first, Lewis second. I'm going to go with Bottas, given the heat he has on him around this Mm. weekend. So, he needs a good performance. And when you're under pressure, sometimes you, you can you know, take it to the next level. So I'm going to go with Bottas for um, third place. I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to keep the top two with you, the same as you guys. I'm going to go with obviously Verstappen winning, Hamilton second. But I'm going to go with Charles Leclerc for P3 this weekend. Ooh. Now, okay. the reason the reason I'm going to go for Charles Leclerc Ferrari is... Fan? Uh, maybe, but no, the reason <laughs> I'm going to go for Charles Leclerc <laughs> is... I, I want to go for something different. I, I just feel like perhaps we may see a surprise podium this weekend. And the Ferraris, I think, may look good this weekend. I think they've been held back still by their lack of engine performance compared to what McLaren have had, amongst other things. And I feel like at Imola, 
when it was a bit more of a mechanical grip technical circuit where the car was more of a factor, Leclerc looked very, very good until that red flag, which obviously cost him second place in that race and Lando brilliantly took advantage. So I feel like in a track where qualifying might be paramount, I think Leclerc might be able to use that to his advantage and get himself up where, as I said, so many guys out there that could do the same thing, but I'm going to go Charles Leclerc for P3 just for something different. Speaking of which, of course... Let's talk about the battle for the best of the rest, McLaren and Ferrari. Now, of course, Alpine have thrown their hat into the mix, um, but we'll talk about them in just a moment. But, George, I want to get your thoughts on Lando Norris in particular, because, of course, the battle has been between himself and Charles Leclerc for the best of the rest. And so far, Lando, all three races, for one way or another, has been absolutely superb on a Sunday and has completely surprised me and has surprised a lot of people. How have you rated his performances so far this season? He's been excellent, hasn't he? He's He's been brilliant. I, I've loved watching him. I, I'm, I'm a very much a, a nationalist when it comes to uh, drivers in Formula 1. I love to see the British drivers and the British teams do well, and I love seeing how well Lando Norris is doing. He's, he's been best of the rest for um, four races in a row, if you count Abu Dhabi last year as well, so... It's great. It's great to see. He's got a great car underneath him. He knows it. And he just, he looks like a seasoned veteran. He looks like someone who's been in the sport 10 years. He looks like an Alonso or a Hamilton out there. He looks like he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly where the limits of the car is. You never see him making mistakes. He's been doing really well in qualifying. He's got race, race and qualifying pace under his belt. I can't wait to see him do more. I mean, he's third place in the the championship at the moment. He's miles behind Verstappen and Hamilton. I can honestly see him finishing the season fourth or fifth if Bottas and Perez keep being inconsistent for one reason or another. Um, and yeah, Charles Leclerc, obviously, he's been the other best of the rest driver. I mean, what more can we say about him? He's another one who's, you know, those are two excellent young drivers. You know, in a few years, five years' time, we may see a championship battle between like Verstappen, Russell, Leclerc, Norris, all, all in different teams. It's really exciting. And as a McLaren fan as well, I'm loving seeing how well they're doing. I think that I think they can be comfortably further than constructors this year. But Ferrari are hanging in there, so fair enough. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I've always found fascinating about Lando this season in particular is the one critique I think a lot of us shared, myself included, was that we were worried that the happy-go-lucky, fun, meme lord, if you like, side of Lando Norris, which we love about him, may interfere with his development in terms of is he mature enough to take that step up or is he business-like enough? In the same way Daniel Ricciardo, his teammate, is ironically. Um, But Lando has completely already taken that and said, well, I'm already showing you that I can do that. I'll joke around on my Twitch streams and everything else off the track, but as soon as I'm in the car, the visor's down, I'm all business. And that's that's took me by surprise the most. And that's what I love about Lando this season. I'm just hoping that continues because right now he is driving the best I've probably ever seen him drive in his career. And I've followed it for some time. Um, Courtney, bring you in on this one as well. Um, we've said enough about Lando Norris already, but uh, mm. that doesn't need to be said. Um, but how do you feel he's going to get on this weekend, given that his performance has been so good? Do you feel that this is a track where he could perhaps challenge for a podium? Why not? If we have a crazy race, plenty of safety cars, um, that's certainly a possibility. Um, Going to sidetrack just a tiny bit. It's still about Lando, don't worry. <laughs> I really want to see a crazy race because we had a couple last season to like Gasly winning in Monza. It's time for Lando to win a race. He's been driving well enough to <laughs> put himself in contention in a strange race. 
So if if Max and Lewis hit each other at the start of a race, why not? Could you imagine? I, I think I think Formula One, the Formula One side of the internet, absolutely explode if Lando was to win a race. So fingers <laughs> crossed. If Lewis is going to go crashing out of the race, I want to see Lando win. That's what needs to happen. But I reckon he will. I reckon have a strong weekend. But I think sooner rather than later, we're going to see a fight back from Daniel Ricciardo because he hasn't yeah. he hasn't lost. That that ability hasn't gone anywhere. He's just getting up to grips with the car, and yeah, I think I think McLaren could be in for a strong season if Daniel picks up his pace. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I was going to move on to Daniel Ricciardo. Um, you know, disappointing qualifying in Portimao last weekend. He was absolutely gutted about that. But race wise, he did seem to up it. Perhaps wasn't the star performer moving up the grid of course the Alpines took everybody by surprise especially Esteban Ocon Mm. in particular but um do you feel that during that race on Sunday last weekend that we saw signs that Daniel was starting to get to grips with the car and do you feel that that could be more of a factor this weekend um George I'll come to you first on this one yeah, I mean, he's getting used to it. They, they say it always takes at least five races to get used to a new car, and obviously he's had less testing than normal, only three days, and I think of those he was in for one and a half probably. So he needs time, but he's not done badly by any stretch. He's still seventh in the championship. Perez is only six points ahead of him. He's still ahead of Signs as well in the championship. Uh, he's getting used to it. I mean, it's, his first stint was really good. He'd climbed up really well. He seemed to struggle on his second stint, though. And I don't know why, to be honest. I think he was on the hard tyres and he should have been able to get through easily. But for whatever reason, it just didn't agree with him. He's talked about how the car is quite hard to get to grips with and, you, and the setup needs to be aced. And Lando Norris has that knowledge. He has that experience in that car. But Ricardo doesn't have that yet. But he is a very good driver. He's one of the best on the grid for me. He's been in the sport 10 years now, I think, something like that. You know, he'll come back and I would, as good as Norris has been in this, is no dig at Norris at all. I wouldn't be surprised if Ricardo ends up higher than him in the championship come the end of the season. Because I think both of Norris's two seasons with McLaren and in F1, he was teammates with Sainz and Sainz started out relatively slow, but then caught him up as the season went on. So I won't be too surprised to see that happen again this year. No, and that's that's a bold prediction. Um, I mean, you, you could well be right. Um, Lando has certainly, in my opinion, performed above what his expectations were by quite some margin. Mm. Whether he can sustain that, obviously, that's going to be the next challenge for him because, of course, it's okay to look good in a few races, but Daniel Ricciardo will know better than most that in order to sustain that level, you've got to be on it almost week in, week out. Um, mm. Courtney, h- how do you feel about Daniel Ricciardo? Do you feel that Norris's performances are putting him under perhaps more pressure? Then he felt he should be under to learn this car and get the speed up to speed with it. Or do you feel that he knows deep down he's going to get up to speed eventually and it's only a matter of time before we see the Daniel Ricciardo that we know and expect in this McLaren? Kind of similar to how he was at Renault. He will turn it around. I think it's a matter of when, not if. Um, one thing he does have on his side that we do potentially have a 23 race season. So he has plenty of time to accumulate enough points to make an impact. But given that he's joined a new team, new systems, you know, Mercedes power unit, different kind of car compared to the Renault, he does he does have that on his side. But he just needs to, he has the experience, he has the know-how, and also he has the self-belief to not let this get the better of him. So it is, as, as, I, as I said like a few minutes ago, I really do believe he will turn it around. It's just a case of how close he'll get to Lando because there's no disputing 
Lando is doing great with that car. So it is just a case of whether Daniel can get ahead of Norris or get close enough to make a good impact from McLaren. Absolutely right. And of course, that could be key in this uh, constructors battle between McLaren and Ferrari in particular. Of course, let's move on to Ferrari. Now, we've already talked about Leclerc. I think there's no doubt in our minds what we're going to get with Leclerc. Hopefully this season, it'll be a better race for him than it was last season when, of course, his car spun out of that chicane, uh, had to turn the engine on. Of course, he'd undone his seatbelt. So I'm pretty sure, hopefully, we won't see something similar <laughs> for him this week and a bit better fortunes. But um, George, I'm going to ask you about Ferrari in general before we talk about Carlos Sainz. Um, how impressed have you been by Ferrari this season? Because we expected Ferrari to make a step up, which they have. We expected Ferrari to make a step up with their engine, which they have to some degree. But we do feel that they're still lacking, at least compared to Honda and Mercedes in particular. Um, having said all of that, I would say it probably would have been a bit arrogant for everyone to expect Ferrari to blow the rest of the midfield away and be the outright top three. But they're probably not too far away from that, given from where we've seen of them this season. How, how would you feel about Ferrari so far? I've been impressed by them. They've come back really well, to be fair. Like you said, they've, they've made big strides with the car. They've made big strides with the engine. Um, they're still behind. I mean, they're still for me, they're still behind... Um, behind McLaren in terms of pure pace they might even be behind Alpha Tower you obviously will get onto them eventually but they they have a really fast car they just not convert it into good results but you know they've got two they've got two relatively young drivers in Leclerc and Sainz they know what they're doing Sainz for me I, he's really impressed me the way he's slotted into that team because that Ferrari must not be that easy of a car to drive surely um, but you know they've done they've both done well I, I think they're strong favourites to be fourth I mean, yeah, I'm sure some of the Ferrari fans would have been wanting them to blow the midfield away, get back up to the top. And you did it in 2015. They were dismal in 2014. In 2015, they were the second fastest team. So it can be done, but it would have been a massive ask. And it just shows a really good, like how good of a job McLaren have done as well. Um, so yeah, Ferrari doing better, but they'll be hoping for more. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And of course, we should stress that under the regulation changes that we got this season, it would have been very difficult for Ferrari to overhaul their car as it would have done in other seasons to try and get into that top three. Um, Courtney, I'll come to you on this one. Um, with a mention with Carlos Sainz, um, he was very, very much let down, in my opinion, by Ferrari on strategy. I think he felt he probably could have been challenging Norris and Leclerc if he was put on a on the harder tyre rather than the mediums. That wasn't the case. He dropped out of the points. Um how big a weekend is this for him? His first home race, driving for Ferrari, of course, the first Spanish Ferrari driver since Fernando Alonso. So the focus will be on him as well. Do you feel that he has a point to prove this weekend? Or do you feel that he just needs to carry on as he has been? Uh, first of all, uh, when it comes to Ferrari, Carlos Sainz has to know that if you're going to join Ferrari, you're going to be the victim of some shit strategy calls. That comes with the territory of racing for Ferrari. So I mean it's not wrong. You know, so don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, 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 don't take it personally, Carlos. You know, it comes it comes with the territory. But no, I think he's I think he's done well. I think, you know, like we, we said earlier on about um drivers going into new teams and they're struggled. I think out of all the, the movers from last season, I think Carlos Sainz has done the best. As George said, he's settled in well. He's made a solid start. He just needs to carry on the way he's going and you know. Again, if we have a, a crazy race, I can see him getting a podium or two this season. 
Yeah, I mean, he doesn't look that far off Leclerc in general. I think ultimate pace is probably at most a fraction of a second ultimate pace. But in the race, it's significantly less than that. Um, I don't know how you'd feel about Carlos Sainz, George. I know you've mentioned he's done rather well, but um, this weekend, do you feel like he could get a big result for Ferrari this weekend? He could do, definitely. He does well around circuit to Catalonia. I think he got a fifth or a sixth back at his Toro Rosso days. So it's definitely possible. Um but I, th- I still think it's a big ask. Circuit de Catalonia really does reward the car. It's one of those circuits where you need a great, I know it's obvious, but you need a great car around there to do well. So I think Ferrari, anything better than seven and eight for Ferrari, I think could be a really good result for them. I think a podium is a very big ask, but you never know. This is why we love Formula One, like we keep saying. You can't predict it. Mm. And as I said already, I think this race, we're really going to learn what the pecking order actually is, because I think the first three races, we probably haven't really had an indication one way or the other, just for so many different factors. We certainly didn't get that a port out because of the conditions that we got. Um, But speaking of one team that actually benefited from those conditions was Alpine. Now, I don't know about you guys. I was absolutely blown away by the progress Alpine. Um, George, do you feel that Alpine can keep this up or do you feel that because Portimao's characteristics were so unique that they just happen to be one of those teams that benefited from this? Or, or do you feel that this pace is real? Maybe. Uh, it's, it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. I think they'll do well to keep up the positions that they got. They got seventh and eighth, I think, didn't they? Yeah. At Portimao. So I think they'll do very well to do that again. I, I think their engine is the worst on the grid. I think that's where they struggle. They'll struggle to keep it up around the power tracks. Um, but like you said, the pace was genuine. They they kept you know they kept going. They've been steadily progressing this season so far. I just with everything that Alonso said, I, I'm just don't have ultimate confidence that car's that great. But so far they've done all right. And like like I said, in the hands of Fernando Alonso, anything's possible. And don't play down Ocon either. He's beat Alonso fair and square so far. So it's up to Alonso to come back and try and be his teammate. Mm, absolutely and, and Ocon kind of has to deliver those kind of performances on a regular basis um Courtney obviously how impressed were you by Ocon last week and do you feel like he can keep it up well yeah he has to I think that again he knows that he's one of the drivers that are under pressure so he really needs to do that in terms of Alpine's performance you said Adam looking at the track specifics and actually you know the performance of the car is going to be important on his car. So, sorry, George, you said that, mate. Um, sorry. <laughs> so if they're not, you forgive me, right? Cheers, mate. Um, like if they if they do well here, then it's looking positive. But we're not going to know until Sunday, are we? So there's still a lot of question marks over Alpine. I still think they'll be behind the likes of McLaren and Ferrari. I think they're going to be in battles with, Al- um, with Alpha Tauri. That's going to be the main battle for them this season, I feel. Mm. Yeah, it could well be. Um, speaking of Alpha Tauri, um, I was very disappointed um, last weekend. They seemed well off the pace. Quite a surprise because I think, as you'd already mentioned, George, and I agree with you on this one, Alpha Tauri did look like at one point that they may have had the best car in the midfield, but for whatever reason, they have not taken advantage of the pace that they had. Um, I'm going to be blunt, George. Do we feel that or do you feel that Alpha Tauri still have that pace? Or do you feel that they may have already missed the best opportunity for them to score big points this season? Bahrain was definitely a big opportunity. And Imola, they had a lot of pace as well. Um, but Portimao, they just looked absolutely anonymous. Gasly did well to get a single point for the team. I, th- I think they still got the pace. I think that Honda engine is an absolute rocket. I feel it'll do... I think they'll do well at places like Azerbaijan, places like 
even Paul Ricard, where they got long straights, Italy, you know, tracks like that. I think they'll do well around there. But so far, they just can't seem to set it up or something keeps going wrong. So, I mean, I, I said earlier on in the season, they're a bit like this season's racing point in that they have a great car, but they can't seem to get the results from it. So I, I want to be proven wrong. I want to see Gasly and Sonoda do well, but if it's going to be like Portugal again in Spain, then they're going to struggle. Hmm. And with Sonoda in particular, um, despite his impressive performances at times in the other races, it was rather tepid in Portimao. Do we feel that Sonoda perhaps um, just kind of needs to settle into Formula One a bit more before he can unleash that pace? Because we know he's got it and we know he's got the talent, but perhaps he just needs to embed himself into uh, F1 a little bit more before we start to see that raw talent again. Um, Courtney, how, how would you, what would you react to something like that with Sonoda? Do you feel that Perhaps he needs to do something along those lines, or do you feel that he just needs to keep trying and hopefully some he might strike gold? Well, yeah, if you come into F1 from F2, you need a solid season. You know, if you have a look at the other guy, you know, he should he should not be named. Making headlines <laughs> for all the wrong reasons, right? It's not a bad thing to have a quiet first season. At the end of the day, if you're if you're a young driver coming to Formula One, it is a learning process. So sometimes you need to be staying out of the headlines in order to learn and then kick on in seasons to come. And that's what Yuki really needs to do. He's, he's in a team that really, in theory, isn't expected to make headlines. So for him, this could be a good, you know, learning stage of his career. So in a strange way, I think if Alpha Tauri were to start a little bit, it might actually suit him in the long term. Mm. And George, what would you say? Uh, regarding Yuki Tsunoda, how impressed have you been by him this season? And what do you feel he needs to do to try and get himself in those points battles again, as he did in Imola? Oh, it's a tough one. I love Yuki Tsunoda and I really want to see him do well. I really like him as a person. It pains me to see how bad he was in Portimao. He was totally anonymous. He was the worst. He was the worst guy out there, apart from the Williams and the Haas. Um, I think to get in the points, he just needs to maybe rein it in a little bit. He, was re- he could have easily got points in Imola despite starting at the back. He did get a few points in Bahrain, but he had a poor start and that put him down. So I feel like he just needs to rein it in a bit and that'll come with experience. He's got the raw pace. He can overtake. And yeah, I, I think he'll do I think he'll do well. I think he'll put Gasly under pressure at times, but so far Gasly is showing why he's the senior person in that team. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And uh, I probably should cl- clarify for my own credibility that I meant to say Bahrain, where he scored points rather than Imola. I kind of made that mistake there. Um, <laughs> so let's move on and uh, talk about Aston Martin. Now, it's hard to really kind of understand how Aston Martin have really ended up in some ways at the back end of the midfield, uh, considering that when they were racing point last season, of course, we had them the third fastest car, even though they didn't finish third in the Constructors' Championship, arguably had the third best car. And then obviously we had the big regulation changes, which everybody agreed to, everyone signed up for, to homologate the rule changes for 2021 to 2022. And for some reason, Aston Martin have ended up at the bottom of the pecking order as far as the midfield is concerned. Now, of course, Otmar Zafner has basically said that this is because of the low rate concept of the Aston Martin car, similar to the Mercedes, of course, in certain elements, as we saw from last season's racing point. But unlike Mercedes, Aston Martin have really struggled to get on top of this and to try and maximise the most of the car and seems to spend more time complaining about these rule changes. Not that 
I feel that there's any way they're going to be able to change this. And even if they did, it wouldn't be to any value by the time they do this. But um, that being said, they've really, really struggled this season in particular. And in Portimao, I think the reality kind of set in for them that they are really, really struggling at the moment. Um, George, I'm going to come to you first on Aston Martin. What have you made so far of their season? And if you can, how are they going to get out of this rut that they seem to find themselves in? Get themselves out of this rut is going to be very difficult because because of the nature of how they found themselves in it. I mean, they've you know they essentially copied the 2019 Mercedes for 2020. That was meant to be a one year thing, and then move on to the regulations for this year. Obviously, the, the big regulation changes got pushed back, so now they're stuck with a car that yeah, it's good, but they don't know how to develop it. And uh, as as Tom from Monkey Seat Podcast puts it, uh, Karen Saff now is just constantly complaining <laughs> about. <laughs> complain about oh. decisions with the regulations but they, they you know they they can't talk about that they can't complain about that they they took the, the very 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 liberal interpretation of the regulations last year and now they're paying for it and they have a car that's just not very good and they don't know how to develop it they don't know how to improve it i think they'll just abandon this um this car very quickly to be honest if if they haven't already and um, I'm not sure how they're going to get out of it to answer that question. I don't think they know either. And that's the biggest problem. (laughs) No, and I think that's the conundrum right there, because obviously every team's got a paradox this season to decide at what point do they shift their focus to 2022. We already know Haas had already said that they were going to do this. The only exception was a few bits they put on the car early in the season that was carried over from last year's development. But um you know, Aston Martin do find themselves in this conundrum like everyone else. And perhaps at some point they may decide to jump the gun um, a bit earlier than everyone else. And they may actually trigger a domino effect where everyone else has to try and follow suit. So we're going to end up with a stagnant development race, except for perhaps where Red Bull and Mercedes are confirmed to a degree. Um, it is quite interesting. I mean, they did bring some parts to Portimao last week. They were meant to be in Spain, but of course they were able to fast track them. So they did a good job there, but only for Lance Stroll's car, given that he was leading Vettel on points in the championship. That being said, not only did Lance struggle in qualifying, but despite overtaking Vettel at one point in the race, he ended up finishing behind Vettel because Vettel got him back. So Aston Martin have another conundrum on their hands now where... Sebastian Vettel was brought into the team to be the blueprint performer, if you like, to extract the most out of that car, and yet hadn't done that before Portimao, and yet Lance Stroll got the updates, expecting to be quicker than Vettel, and then Vettel ended up beating him on merit anyway. So, I mean, George, where the hell do Aston Martin go with this one? Because (laughs) Vettel put in his best performance, in in my opinion. I think he's been relatively good, except with the exception of Bahrain. But, you know, when when everything's all said and done, we don't even know what Sebastian Vettel we're getting at the moment. Are we getting the old Sebastian Vettel back a little bit where he's starting to perform better? Or are we still getting the one that's carried over from last season at Ferrari? It's just so hard to tell right now. Well, the Sebastian Vettel of old definitely would not have got beaten by Lance Stroll or got beaten by him so far this season. It's Vettel's worst start to a season since 2008. He is having a torrid time. I mean, in Bahrain, he... It was his own fault. He was awful in Bahrain. He was slow and he made that crash with Ocon as well. Uh, Imola, he did a decent job despite the problems with the car. I don't think he did a bad job in Portimao either, really. But the car's just not there. And it's got to be demoralising for him at the end of the day. After after a horrible season last season with Ferrari, there, was, there weren't really any bright spots at all to that. 
So, yeah, I, I think he's got to be demotivated. I honestly think he might be considering leaving, but I also think he's a gentleman and he's a man of his word and he's got a multi-year deal in inverted commas. So I think he'll be around at least next year. But after that, who knows? I mean, we were kind of hoping that this season in particular, we may see Seb in the upper echelons um, in mm. F1's pecking order this season. We expected Aston Martin to have a strong car. I think a lot of people thought they were going to be the best of the rest in that midfield battle. That obviously has not delivered at all. Um, suffice to say that Aston Martin probably aren't going to be the best of the rest at any point this season. Um, so the attention has shifted perhaps, perhaps the next season, as we were already talking about. And perhaps that's where Vettel is looking, hoping in the same way that perhaps Fernando Alonso is that He's not committing himself for another couple of years of a car that's nowhere near looking like it's going to perform regularly in the points or podiums, let alone try to compete for a world championship. Um, Courtney, I'm going to bring you into this one as well. Um, I mean, in your mind, what do Aston Martin need to do to try and get themselves back to the front of the field? Do you feel like it's worth their while developing this season? Or do you feel that they should just do what has to do and just put up shop and focus on next season? Yeah, they should definitely focus on uh, next season. Um, first of all, given the situation they're in, and two, they seem to have quite ambitious uh, management. You know, they've 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 been very vocal about wanting to get to the very top, and 2022 is going to be a great um, opportunity for them to do that. So, with that in mind, they should fully look at 2022 and pick up any kind of scraps they can. Um, when it comes to Sebastian Vettel, we discussed it in previous episodes. He needs to have some quiet weekends. He had one in Portimao. He just needs to carry on and build up the confidence because he has he has the ability, but he's lost his way in recent seasons. So, yeah, they kind of need to... He needs to carry on the way he's going. Then hopefully, in some unique races, get some positive headlines and get his confidence back because, you know, the pair of you are right. If he... If he carries on sort of going downhill, he isn't really going to have much motivation to stand his fault. Hmm. And uh, I'll probably chuck a prediction at you both here. Um, do you feel that Aston Martin are going to score points this weekend? Either one of their drivers? George, what do you think? No. <laughs> I, don't think, I, don't think, I don't think there's a chance. No, I don't see it. Although maybe, maybe because Vettel did score decent points there last year in that awful Ferrari. So maybe if he does a really good strategy or something like that possibly but on pure pace no chance <laughs> i don't think it's open hell well maybe that sort of bugging vettel at the moment perhaps he has all this vacant mental capacity available to him that he usually used to deal with man managing the ferrari and the strategy all by himself he's not quite sure yeah. what to do with it in <laughs> martin when that's t- sort of taken care of for him um courtney same question to you do you feel aston martin realistically will score points this weekend no i agree there's too there's too many um, teams that will be ahead of them. Um, I, I look at even like the likes of Williams; they could even have a stronger weekend. I, this this could be a race where Aston Martin could really struggle because they really haven't got up and running this season. Hmm. And they seem to be struggling with getting on top of yeah. this low rate concept, which they keep complaining about. But unlike Mercedes who have been very supportive of them. Mercedes have been able to find a way to make theirs work to a degree where they have a car that's fighting for a championship still. Um, as frustrating as that may be to some of their rivals, they're still there. But um, as we all expect with Mercedes, that's why they're so brilliant. Um, let's talk about Williams. Of course, you mentioned Williams already, Courtney. Um, we've said a lot of times on this podcast before, George, that um, 
well, myself and Courtney, I should say, we said on this podcast that Williams have gone with a philosophy where they've gone with the peaky downforce philosophy. Now, we're not aerodynamicists by any stretch, but even we know that teams don't tend to favour that because it does rely on conditions to be calmer, the track to be more consistent and to behave like a racetrack would behave that does rely heavily on aerodynamics. Strangely enough, this could be one of the circuits where Williams will find some joy with this philosophy. Um, With that in mind, do you feel perhaps this could be one of the better opportunities for Williams to score points this weekend? Or do you feel they may struggle like they did at Portimao last weekend? Hard to say, but I mean, I did say that um, you need a good car in, in Spain. I don't think that Williams is a great car. But saying that, it's very hard to overtake. And Russell did qualify 11th at Portimao. Obviously, he slipped back very fast, though. It's not impossible to overtake around Spain, especially if you're very slow. So <clears throat> I think it'd be difficult for them, but it's possible. If if Latifi or Russell qualify really well or, we, or they get lucky with a safety car, they do well in a pit stops or a strategy, I think they could do it. But... I don't think it's likely, to be honest. Hmm. No, that's a fair point. Uh, I mean, qualifying will be critical. And George Russell's so close to a Q3 appearance in that Williams. I mean, if he gets in Q3 in a Williams, you might as well give him the Mercedes seat because he's certainly quick enough. Um, (laughs) If he hasn't been given it already, of course, we're only speculating, um, as we were earlier. But um, as you said, yeah, qualifying is important. They've got that Mercedes engine. We shouldn't forget that. That obviously does pack a punch. And of course, it's so difficult to overtake. So this could be a track where the stars might align for George Russell and that Williams to get those first points. But of course, we'll have to wait and see. Courtney, you've been an avid supporter of George Russell and this Williams. You and I feel perhaps it's a matter of time before it all just comes together. George gets that first championship point in the Williams, which is so many occasions now he's been so close to doing. Do you feel it's going to be this weekend or do you feel Williams will need something to happen for them to be able to get this one over the line? It all comes down to that PK uh, downforce. That's all it comes down to. It most George most likely put that car in a good position on a Saturday. Whether he convert that into a points finish, I don't know. I really do believe he has a better chance at Monaco because with the way that George mm. qualifies, and it's impossible to overtake at Monaco. I reckon this weekend he has a slight chance, but Monaco could be the one for him. So we're already making a preeminent prediction at Monaco where we're going to see um, the Trulli train being reinvented via George Russell this season. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, well, we saw George Bianchi do it, didn't we? In the, uh, mm. oh, what was the team called at the time? The uh, Manor the, team. The, the Manor team. Was, right. yeah. Oh, no, Mar- was it Marussia? It might have been. Yeah, certainly one of them. I think it was Marussia. Educated, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, they, but he done it, didn't he? He, he? he got ninth place in what, which was the worst car. So, the way, if, given the way that George can take an awful car and, you know, kind of almost get it into Q3, why not? I reckon Monaco could be his chance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, to, you know, it's, it's nice to mention George Bianchi because he was a very, very special talent. Probably would have been in a Ferrari by now, unfortunately, oh, yeah. if he hadn't mm. left us too soon, which is a shame. But, uh, you know, life goes on and that's Formula 1 for you, unfortunately. Um, let's talk about Haas. Just briefly, um, you've already mentioned he who shall not be named um, in that regard. Um, I'm not expecting miracles from him, uh, from Massapin. I feel like he's in a car that's not easy to drive and we're still seeing an F2 driver in that car rather than a guy in F1. I I don't know if that's harsh. Um, What would you make of that statement, George? Do you feel that's harsh or do you feel Massapin is worthy 
of his F1 seat on merit. I think that's absolutely fair. I think that's a very fair comment. That's a good way to describe him. He just looks out of his depth and he was a minute off of Schumacher. <laughs> Pulls him out, which is... Don't get me wrong, Mick Schumacher, great driver. I think he's got a very bright future in the sport, but you shouldn't be a minute off your teammate. That's a second a lap consistently slower than your teammate. So, no, I, I think he's I think he's come up too soon. I don't think... I think he could have benefited from another year in F2. Um He's not trying, he's not pulling the crazy antics that he was in F2 at times, um, especially in, in the last round in Bahrain last season. So that's, that's good to see he's not doing that. But no, I, I don't think he should be in Formula One. I don't I don't think he's too bad of a driver. He did do decently well in F2, but he just looks out of his depth, whether it's because of the pressure or because the car's terrible, because the car is terrible. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but no, he looks out of his depth. He looks like a uh, Roberto Meri or um, I'm trying to think. Some of the guys now, just just a guy at the Carter back Kayan. who's not good enough. Yeah, Noreen Cartagena, you know, a guy like that, Robert, Robert Dawn Boss, you know, just some guy oh, who wow. just fills out the grid, you know. That's showing my age a little bit there, but yeah. yeah we're not, not... Fu- well, we're probably in that same bracket, to be fair, George. I mean, you're pulling out all of the names <laughs> from the F1 archives. I was thinking along the lines of um, Baumgartner back in the old yeah, days. Zolt Baumgartner, yeah, Zolt Baumgartner. I mean, what a name he had, Zolt Baumgartner. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's funny enough, I did see something today on Jaime Algaswari because they were talking about Max Verstappen. Obviously, this is the scene five years ago where he won his first mm. Grand Prix at the time, the youngest race winner in Formula One. Um, and then it just gave me Jaime Algaswari vibes about his age. Because um, I think he was, well, obviously at the time, it was a fascination with him because he joined Formula One and everyone said, oh, he's too young to have a driver's license. But then, of course, Max come along and he's like, he's too young to be well you wouldn't even trust him with a moped at his age let alone a formula one car but of course <laughs> max being max showed exactly why he was in that car at the time he was but um mm. yeah crazy times back in the f1 archives but mick schumacher um i mean i am a huge 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 michael schumacher fan and if anyone remembers the last podcast we would know i was breaming with pride at how good he was overtaking latifi on merit and beating him in the race. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the highlights of the Portimao race. It just showed what kind of race it was when the battle for 17th was one of the highlights. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, it, it does seem that for whatever reason, Mick Schumacher is really already starting to show hallmarks of the strengths that he demonstrated in F3 when he won the championship in um, uh, you know GP3 back then. And of course, Formula 2 when he won the championship. Um this seems like a very positive sign for Mick. So I guess the question I've got to ask George is how much do you feel that Mick Schumacher can learn in this Huss this season? And could it lead perhaps to a bigger drive in the next few years? And perhaps if so, where in your mind would that be? Ooh, good questions. Good questions. I think he can learn a lot. I think he can, I think all drivers could do with learning how to drive a bad car. And he seems like he's getting up to grips of it because obviously spun in Bahrain, both drivers spun in Bahrain. He kept going and uh, he got a lot, lot of laps under his belt. He uh, he spun at Imola, but he didn't spin at Portimao. He kept it facing the right way and he got his reward. He got his 17th place. I just wish it'd be more for him. You know, that's all he can really hope for. Um, in the future, obviously, you know, he's got the Ferrari connection. You could see him maybe going there one day to replace signs if signs, it doesn't work out for him for whatever reason. Maybe not because of driving performances, maybe because of politics. I mean, you know, having a having a Schumacher and a Ferrari, it just sells caps and posters and flags and everything, doesn't it? It really does. Um, but as for somewhere else, I'd like to see him in Alfa Romeo. I'd like to see him 
I would have loved to see him alongside, alongside Kimi Raikkonen this year, but sponsorship reasons, they wanted an Italian driver. Rumours are Alfa Romeo's going to go from the Sauber brand, so maybe he'd go then, but obviously maybe Ilot would go instead. So I'd like to see him in an Alfa Romeo next season. I, don't, I think Ferrari's too big of a step for him, and I don't want to put him in there straight away. Although saying that, I think he'd adapt really well. I think he's got a really cool head on his shoulders. I mean, that's always the risk because you kind of hope for someone like Schumacher that you want him to do well, but you want to manage him at certain levels where mm. you want him to jump into a halfway house seat, if you like, at somewhere like Alfa Romeo or somewhere a bit more competitive, if you like. Um, whether that's going to happen or not, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, of course, you've mentioned Callum Eilat, who I would love personally to see in Formula One. I think he was outstanding last season and very, very nearly won the F2 Championship himself. But of course, as you mentioned, politics and other reasons prevented him from getting in that drive. Um, it may be something that he may find himself in next season, which of course will prevent Schumacher from stepping in. But the Haas-Ferrari connection seems to be growing on a technical level. So perhaps that, as I said, I, I refer to it as Project Schumacher. I think that might be uh, what Ferrari are hoping for, that Haas will be a lot more competitive next season and Mick will get that opportunity to demonstrate his ability with a year's experience under his belt. Um, Courtney, I'm going to ask a similar question to you on this one. Um, George mentioned that, um, you know, Ferrari seems to be the end goal for Mick Schumacher. I think we can all agree. Are there any other suitors perhaps in that sort of ballpark that might be keeping an eye on the Schumacher situation that may be tempted to try and see if they can move him into their team instead of Ferrari? Because let's not forget, Mick Schumacher, like his dad, had connections with Mercedes um, at part of his career as well. Michael very much involved with Mercedes in the early stage of his career, let alone where he finished it. So is there a chance perhaps they may even be looking at Mick Schumacher's progress in the long run? I mean, the, the Mercedes programme could make a, a cheeky little move on him. I don't know. Most likely he'll stay with Ferrari. Um, maybe a team like Williams could be... You know, a slight, a nice bit of a side step, but that could be what he can need going forward. But I just can't see him leaving that that Ferrari family. And as George has already stated, I think if he was to leave Haas, I think Alfa Romeo would be the most likely destination for him. Yeah, no, you're probably right there. Um, I, I suppose the question that we'll find out eventually is can, or the probably the toughest thing Mick Schumacher will have to do, I suppose, is can he achieve his ultimate goals on merit or will we have to lean on his name at some point he's never wanted to do that and of course for those of you that followed his career at a young age he did use his mother's maiden name for a long time so he wouldn't be recognized um but there may come a point where that name may prove to be more beneficial than perhaps he would like it to be but as i said i'm speculating here just for adding fuel to the fire for those of you conspiracy theorists out there that love us good old story um but that being said of course we should probably wrap this up uh, we've been going on for a while of course Thank you so much to our special guest today, George from F1 Chronicle, part of the Grid Talk podcast team. Definitely make sure to check them out. Give them a follow and subscribe to their channel. Of course, I'll leave a link and description and below. George, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you. It's been a pleasure being on. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely have to have you on again in the future and some of the other guys and gals from the Grid Talk podcast. Definitely a fun conversation. Of course, Courtney, as always, thank you so much for co-hosting this episode with me no worries and yes thank you George you've done a great job with us mate and as Adam said you're more than welcome to join us for a future episode oh thank you it'd be, it'd be good to have you guys on our show as well at some point love good love, love a good bit of cross collaboration always fun well absolutely well obviously if things That's go good. well I might be showing up on there this weekend we'll have to wait and see yeah okay, I we? think I think you probably will I mean it'd be your first time so I'll, uh, try, I'll try and get you on, on Sunday like you asked for so yeah 
no problem but um yeah with that being said guys of course a should big thank you to everybody who subscribed to the channel and of course our last episode did really really well please 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 if you haven't already do click consider clicking on that subscribe button it's absolutely free doesn't cost you a thing and of course if you do enjoy our podcast you will get them as soon as they come out but with that being said that's all we've got time for for this episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast the spanish grand prix coming up this weekend cannot wait hopefully it proves to be a barnstormer indeed who's it going to be lewis versus max we'll have to wait and see let us know in the comments below and until then take care and we will see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast see you soon Podcast Network.